Hello, and Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. We're on episode 14, covering Elantris, chapters 40 through 42. Uh, I am your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Tori. Hello, Internet. Craig. Good morning. And Dave. Hey, everybody. And so, yeah, we finally got the band back together. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we do we do good thing to start out. Uh, anybody got one they're excited about? Otherwise, I'll do mine first. Uh, so my good thing this week is Borderlands 2. Uh, it came out in 2012. It is the best Diablo game. Like, it, it, is, it is absolutely the best Diablo game. The writing is fantastic. Uh, the gameplay is frantic and shooty and all sorts of stuff that I normally don't like. But they one of the DLC characters has uh, basically an auto-aimer. So, like, you shoot stuff and you miss and it ricochets back into people. And that's how I play because I'm, I am bad at aiming. <laughs> Uh, so, you, so you have easy mode as what? Well. Yes, and it's very important to me, and I like it. Um, so, I have a question. How does Borderlands 2 compare to Borderlands 1? I haven't played much Borderlands 1, but I didn't care for it anywhere near as much. Um, I played a lot more of the pre-sequel, which is technically the third one, but it was made by a different studio, and that one wasn't as great, but that was not gameplay-wise. Gameplay-wise, it's fine. Um just the writing was a lot weaker in uh, in the pre-sequel. I played a little bit of Borderlands 1, and although it was okay, I think I only sunk in like eight hours and I eventually got bored of it. Yeah, Borderlands 1 is... Eh, it's like an... It's an okay to a good game. Uh, Borderlands 2 fixes a lot, of the, a lot of the issues from Borderlands 1, and the writing is really the draw. Like, the writing is fantastic. The... The main villain, Handsome Jack, is phenomenal and hilarious and great. Um, yeah. So, Borderlands 2. It's good stuff. Oh, and uh, it has some DLC. Most of the DLC like packs aren't that great, uh, but one of them is absolutely phenomenal. It's Tiny Tina's uh, something, oh, yeah. something, something. I Hang heard on. of that one. Assault on Dragon Keep. Um, basically she runs a D and D game for the group. Um, and except you're still shooting things and exploding stuff, but sometimes you get guns that shoot exploding swords and that's great. So, so that's mine. Borderlands 2, the best Diablo. Uh, Tori, why don't you go next? Deadpool 2. Oh yeah. I saw that on you Tuesday. You guys in your superhero movies. I right oh it was so funny it was so funny we laughed so hard it was wonderful i loved it it was also you know not as inappropriate as the first one wow um maybe (laughs) you're right it's kind of a it's kind of a you know it just it's subjective but not for kids no and yeah, when the theater we went to had several children in it, which good parenting, guys. Good job. I don't understand these parents. I, I don't yeah. either. Superheroes, it's okay. No. no. You know what? You mentioned Deadpool. Yeah. I want to see, like, I want Marvel to eventually 
have the rights, the movie rights back to Deadpool. Because imagine the stuff he would say once he's like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Dude, you need to watch Deadpool too, and you just you're good. Just yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he says stuff. I'm sure he says stuff. Oh, he says so many things. <laughs> he, but I want to see him interact with some of the MCU. He calls Josh yeah. Brolin Thanos. He does. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He also calls him One-Eyed Willie, which I thought was particularly hilarious since Josh Brolin was in Goonies back in the day. But, oh, um, okay. Um, but, what does he, who does he play? He's the older brother. Okay. Um, because it was many years ago. Um, yeah. I'm going to say my favorite, 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 favorite thing, and this is not a spoiler. You can look it up. During a big fight scene at the end, they've got this operatic, like, epic music. And when you start listening to the lyrics, <laughs> this full-on opera choir is singing, Oh, holy sh** balls, oh, holy sh**. <laughs> and so funny. Oh, my gosh. So highly recommend. Good movie. Um, yeah, I, w- I was going to bring that up, but without swearing on our podcast that we agreed not to swear on. Oops. Um, you can beat that out, right? You're the editor. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> More work for Mike. Uh, um, but, mm, yeah, if you haven't so, seen the movie uh, yet... stream isn't necessarily going to be uh, family-friendly, so... Uh, if you... Um, yeah. It should be. I just am spacey, and I forgot. <laughs> Uh, no, cursing's fine on my stream. I don't do it, but I don't beep it or anything. If you haven't seen the movie yet, don't look up the the song because it does include the name of a character that wasn't featured in any of the uh, right. Yeah, that's any kind of like of the trailers or anything. Yeah, just go see the movie. Don't look it up. Oh yeah, definitely go see it. Um, I mean, if you liked the first Deadpool. Then, then absolutely go see it. You'll probably like the second one. It's basically more of the same stuff. And if you didn't like the first one, then you're probably not one of our people. Uh, but I, mean, I don't know what you're doing here. If you didn't like the first Deadpool, skip the second one. It's not your cup of tea. It just, just it isn't. Uh, all right, uh, Dave. Well, uh, recently I started listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. <laughs> uh, only the self parts, though, not the not the spoilery part. I've this heard of that. <laughs> I also got back into a really cool puzzle game. It's a free flash game you can find online, either on a, a game site like Congregate.com, the K, or on the developer's website. The game's called Manufactoria, a game that Craig actually introduced me to years and years ago. That. I finally got around to trying out again and and uh, beating for the first time. So it's a it's like a programming puzzle game, but instead of typing in code, your code is little conveyor belts and printers that you have to read in uh, tape from a robot and you know either uh, accept it or reject it based on given criteria or edit the tape so that it has different colors on it. It's if you like programming and you like puzzles, it's amazing. So for those of you in the know, you're not quite designing Turing machines, but you are de- designing finite automatas, which is pretty cool. Sure. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I just, I like the game. Right. I understood some of those words. It's computer science stuff. I understood finite. 
Uh, it's state machines. It's cool. I'll explain yeah, to you sometime it, in person. Isn't it pronounced automata? I, I, I pronounce things wrong. That's my thing. <laughs> we actually call them like DFAs and NFAs. We just abbreviate it. So I don't have to say automata. Nor or, should you. Or Mario. It's automata. Yeah, it's definitely I think it's... <laughs> just, just don't ever make Craig say Mario. Mario? Yeah, that. Arcarina. I could say Arcarina. Oh my gosh, you already said it wrong. <laughs> Ocarina. What? You said Ocarina. What am I saying? The first Stop. time you said Arcarina. Because <laughs> I can't talk right now. I know how to say it. All right, then, Craig, let's go to your, go um, to your good thing. Man, I have so many candidates, but you know what? I think I'll just mention this on stream that I finally saw Avengers Affinity War since we had that talk a couple weeks back. Yay. And it is pretty good. And honestly, the more I think about it, I think the more I've actually enjoyed it. Right. Not enough that I want to go see it in the theater again, but I am looking forward to owning it. Uh, so for you, Craig. I'm proud. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to see Deadpool 2 in theaters. I might I might wait. Yeah. One of my friends asked me, hey, how good is it? And I, I was explaining how hilarious it was. And then he told me that he laughed so hard in the first one that people were worried about him in the theater. And I was like, yeah, maybe just rent that one and watch it at home. Um, so Deadpool, the first one, uh, is tied for my wife's favorite movie with oh. Shawshank Redemption. Wow. That's quite a difference. Yeah. yeah they're, they're very tonally different. Very. And... Craig is getting a sub train on Twitch. I am. I don't. I didn't want to say anything on our podcast, but thank you guys for the resubs. Let's get some of those jetpacks in stream. Woo! So, so yeah, um, folks. If you if you're listening to the final released version of this and you'd like to join in, uh, it's Twitch.tv/jet082, and and when we record. And Craig is with us, uh, and he feels like streaming. Then, what? then we have you can you can be in the chat, listen live, correct us. There's a lot of qualifiers on that. It's almost live Q and A. So yeah. Uh, all right, Dave, you're on a bit of a time crunch. So why don't we get your your bit knocked out? Got it. <laughs> Compelling. Feel free to start whenever. So tell us about the chapter. <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, where did we leave off? I think the last time I was on the show, Serene had just entered Elantris to do her, her widow's crunch or whatever, where she handed out the food. Her widow's <laughs> trial. That sounds like a cereal. Widow's trial? Yes. Yeah, that's it. Okay. What did I call it? A widow's crunch, which the doesn't crunch. sound appealing. Like, <laughs> it's Captain Crunch, but it's this sad lady staring out a window. <laughs> oh, that's spiders. So, so we're not talking about chapters forty through forty-two. For I mean, for we are. We're getting there. We are, but I, I have to catch us up because right, uh, I wasn't caught up the last time I was on the show. So yeah. that's where I last left off. Um, since then, Serene had uh, made a plot to marry. Well, actually, that didn't happen yet. So she, Serene, <laughs> had found out that the king was sneaking out of the castle at night on full moons or something. So. She uh, has Royal throw an eclipse party so that she can follow him out of the party. You know, 
follows him down through the sewers and finds out that uh, he's been participating in these cultic rituals where he's sacrificing, you know, human people and killing them on an altar and naked and blood splattery and everything. Pretty gruesome. Uh, So the king's uh, kind of outed at that point and, uh, you know, since the mysteries are kind of a forbidden religion for obvious reasons, uh, he is put to shame and commit suicide. So I was right that the king would die. I wasn't actually expecting it to go this route, but uh, I was at least right that he died. Um, so uh, what's that guy's name? The, the, the birthmark dude. Tellery, oh, I think. Tellery. So Tellery is, you know, the obvious next in line to take power and take the throne. But uh, then our heroes and heroine figure out that if she and Royal get married, then their combined assets will be enough to uh, to take over the throne. So they plan on getting married. And right before she and he are going to get married, well, basically, like, at the king's, uh, at the, they, were, they scheduled the funeral and the wedding on the same day. So at the king's funeral, in his will, it turns out that uh, he had written into his will, you know, after 10 years of my rule of past, or if I die, whatever happens first, all of the nobles' titles will be frozen, and so that whatever rank you are at the king's death, that's what you are. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that applies, because now that he's dead, someone else is going to take over, and <laughs> just kind of... Uh, but... So I guess I guess it's also it's important that Serene is still acknowledged as the princess at the king's death. So anyway, they're about to get married, and then she pulls the veil off and gasp! She's been taken over by the uh, by the Riyadh, uh, the cursed transformation, the zombie plague, whatever you want to call it. And a sudden you know, case I think, of the zombie plague. A sudden case of zombie plague, which I think we as the audience. Uh, it's pretty obvious that this is not a natural transformation, but that Hraithen uh, uh, had uh, given her a a poison that uh, that uh, mimics the the uh, zombie plague. So I think it's obvious to the reader, but to the characters, you know, they're like, "Oh, she's stricken," so the wedding doesn't happen, and she gets thrown into a laundress. So. I guess I also should have mentioned that Harithan used the same potion on himself because uh, he wanted to fake the Shi'ad so that he could be, quote, healed from it and people would worship his god, Yadith, and he'd be able to take control away from Diloth, his little uh, zealot friend that basically has a, like has influence over the entire church that he's in. So Harithan's able to take control back from Diloph and to kind of uh, solidify his religion in Aralon. And in the meantime, Serene gets thrown into Elantris. And uh, Raiden, of course, recognizes her, but uh, she does not yet know that uh, Lord Spirit, as they call him in Elantris, she does not yet recognize that this is, in fact, her husband. Uh, but he starts showing her around, and she she felt a little betrayed by him before, but she's again starting to take a, a liking to him as he shows her 
you know, how he started to renovate the city. And uh, this is, you know, the really interesting part is that if you're taken by the Riyadh and you have a say on one of those glowy light balls, the, the lantern archons, or uh, I guess they're also kind of like wisps if you ever played any Warcraft games, so you're like little glowy light balls. Uh, so normally if you're taken over by the Rayad, your Seon goes insane and just kind of wanders around and mumbles. But now Ashi, Serene Seon, is still completely lucid. So they don't really suspect that something's up, that this is a, a fake transformation. I suppose they probably will in time. I mean, if the potion wears off, obviously. But for right now, the kind of upshot is it's not a real Seon, so her... Her glowing light ball is still normal, and she can use it to communicate with her father uh, through Skyping again, and she can use it to communicate with uh, the nobleman that uh, she's befriended in Aralon. And I think that's about caught us up. Okay, okay. nice. Uh, so who is your favorite character so far? <sighs> it was Hraithen, but my man's letting me down. Um <laughs> I thought, like, this guy's great, because I, I love somebody that approaches their religion logically and analytically, um, but I he doesn't actually, like, believe in Yadith, because if he did, he wouldn't have to do all these schemes and lie to people to, you know, convert them to his side, you know? So, and and also, he's just kind of like, it's, it's kind of like he's trying to convert people for his own pride and he doesn't really he doesn't really care about his religion or his god because he just he wants the satisfaction of knowing that he got people he like he got people on his side so i i'm not as big a fan of him as i was before i'm still holding out there's still a little bit of time for him to kind of uh see you know uh to actually see truth and kind of uh believe in truth rather than in the traditions of his church so we'll see uh i guess i guess my favorites um probably royal is one of my favorites uh, as far as the other guys go and oh also um keen's uh, oldest son the one with the long hair luke hell he's pretty cool luke, luke yeah he's really cool to like him um all right uh what predictions do you have for the rest of the book Predict all the things. Go. Yeah. All the things? Uh, well, you, can go, you can go for deaths. You can go where you think the story's going. So Serene will fall in love with uh, Lord Spirit before she realizes that it's Raiden. I'm still holding on to that one. Uh, but then he will reveal himself after he... And this actually is... Oh, this actually kind of is parallel to how he didn't want to reveal his identity to the Elantrian public because he wanted to win them over by merit of his character and not by his title. I think he's going to go the same route with Serene. He's going to try to win her over as Lord Spirit before revealing to her his true identity. Uh, I, I do want to see Hraithen, you know, realize that he's been manipulative and that uh, he, he should be supporting truth rather than tradition and i want to see him team up with the with the other two protagonists um and i think that uh raiden and as i i forgot to mention this in the recap but raiden started to figure out a little bit about the door uh which is like this magic force it's basically like 
looking for an outlet and you know it's been basically destroying people because uh it's been destroying people for some reason because it used to be able to transform them and turn them into like the old glorious elantrians but for some reason the people aren't like yielding to it and uh, and it's kind of it's it's kind of like like water building up in a pipe or like steam building up in a pipe and the people like shut off the release valve or something so the pipe's exploding rather than carrying the door out and out into the world um and you know what's actually interesting is that Raiden and Galadon, mostly Raiden, has been studying the door and trying to trying to real think. You know what? Why has the door changed? Why is the door not working the way it used to? But I think they're going to find out that it's not the door that's changed, but the uh, people that have been accepting it somehow changed and blocked off the outlets that the door is trying to get out through through the people. I uh, don't really have any other predictions. I guess they'll maybe. Well, I guess um, maybe they'll get rid of the monarchy altogether. Actually, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Is um, Serene has already tried to instill like free enterprise to the people. Uh, this is like way back when she first met with the noblemen, but. She's like, let these guys, you know, work for themselves and keep more of their produce, and we'll see how much uh, harder they'll work and how much wealthier our nation will become. So I think that's actually going to happen, and they'll probably turn into, like, a republic or something, but maybe have Raiden and Serene as some sort of, uh, like, prime ministers or something. So I have a, a, a general question. Are yeah. you enjoying the book? Yes, I am. I'm very enjoying it. Uh, there are a couple of things, and unfortunately I have to go in a couple minutes, but there are a couple of things that I kind of I'm curious about. Uh, now, I know that uh, you guys say that uh, Brandon Sanderson writes strong female characters, and Serena is a strong female character, and she's great, but she's a little too obviously trying to come off as a strong female character. I think maybe in the later books, Sanderson's strong female characters will show their strength a little more subtly, but Serene just comes in, she's like, I'm an independent woman, I'm going to teach <laughs> women how to fence, and I'm going to show these noblemen that it's not just a boys club, and I'm going to kick butt, and I don't care about getting married except when I do. Uh, you know, so to be fair, this first book, he does. Yeah, get I know, I know. And like I said, I listened to the first couple episodes of the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast and heard you guys uh, talking about it. The other thing that I'm kind of curious about is that there are well, there are uh, several religions in this book, and like I'm curious about first of all if they have any real world parallels. Um, and also it's, it's interesting to me that one, from the writing perspective, one of them seems obvious, like an obviously a wrong religion, the Shudareth. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm for or against absolutism. I'm not saying that whether I am or not right now, but it's just curious that it's not really, absolutism is not really a popular opinion. So... But this is also an older book, and it's written by a Mormon, so who knows? 
Yeah, so I mean, the way Sanderson writes, he he is Mormon, uh, but he he's he's pretty good about keeping things separate. Like it's not like he's forcing his opinions on people. Uh, so when he crafts these systems, they're very much like he 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 thinks about how these come about. It's not necessarily what's true so much as what people have determined is true. So it's. There are a number of religions, but there's no statement as into which is supposed to be the correct one. I mean, in this book, it's a little more you're in favor of one versus the other because it comes off that way. But uh, in, in, he does provide more of a perspective on, on this sort of um, view in other books, I will say. Okay. So, I, so I uh, dive into that uh, subject more in detail later, but I have to get going, so have fun talking behind my back, guys. Okay. <laughs> okay, Bye, I guess Dave. we're kicking you off now. Bye, Dave. Have a good day at work. Thanks, bye. Bye. Alright, so, uh, are we going right into spoilery? Yeah. Here be All spoilers. Alright, so, so we, have a couple, we have a couple new people in chat, so just to catch you guys up before we actually talk spoilers. So we are discussing, this is the first book that was published by Brandon Sanderson. He's a very prolific fantasy writer, although he's been getting into, he has a young adult series, which I know he does some superhero-y stuff. He does some other young adult and teen series. The fantasy stuff are for just adults, you know, um, but eventually he's going to have some sci-fi stuff as well. So this is just a, so you're aware. The point is, this is his first published book. We're discussing it. This is about 80% to, we're, we're like, we're, we're getting near the end of the book. We're right? like three so quarters we have done. like what? Huh? We're like three quarters done of the physical book. Right. We have like basically six, uh, no, like 12 chapters after this. I mean, Week. the chapters get shorter as as yeah, things yeah. progress. So, um, so if you're okay with spoilers, we're going to discuss not just Elantris, but everything that he's written. Because here's the thing about Sanderson: uh, his fantasy series are interconnected. They take place in the same universe, which is called the Cosmere. Uh, hence, the name of our podcast being Cosmere Deep Dive. So they have some interaction between them uh, and we're discussing the theories behind it because there's a lot of similarities with the way the magic systems are. They're very in-depth and they have their own characteristics. But there's also similarities into the way there are quote-unquote gods that are present on these different worlds that the stories take place in and the magic systems might have some similarities in how they work. So there's some good stuff and part of the uh, interest in Sanderson is the fact that he can weave this together and you can discuss things like this. It's not like we have a story taking place on one world. We have multiple different worlds with multiple different stories. They stand alone. You don't have to know any of this. But if you're interested, there's more. So if you want more information, uh, go listen to episode zero of our podcast. It is available on Google Play, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and via any app that pulls from any of those, most apps are going to pull from iTunes. We need to add the links to the the links. Like, I have the Facebook link and the Twitter, but we should add the podcast links, right? I will provide that for you later. Okay. 
I don't feel like digging it out right now. That's fine. Uh, so we're about to discuss spoilers for all of his works. All the spoilers. So many spoilers. Alright, so the first thing I want to get into before we discuss what actually happened in these chapters... Actually, sorry, I have a thing before that. Um, I didn't read chapters this week. Neither did Craig. And would you like to know why, Tori? Why? Because Dave was kind enough to read his chapters out loud on stream at twitch.tv slash crossproduct uh, a few days ago. So I I had the chapters read to me. Is that is that legal? It, I don't know. Like, with copyright things? If, well, if it, it's not like he's claiming his work. I think we're fine. If, if, it, if it is a problem, it's specifically Dave's problem. We didn't suggest this to him. It was his idea. Okay. So, if he runs into any legal issues because of it, uh, it is not directly my fault. Okay. Um, if there is a problem with him reading it out loud, we'll make sure he stops. Okay. 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 Um, that said, I'm not going to like do any research to find out if this is an issue. Meh. Uh, okay, so the first thing I wanted to get into is a continuation of what Tori and I discussed last week, and I wanted to bring Craig in on this, of Craig... What do you think the requirements are to be an Elantrian? You know, to, be, to become an Elantrian. Because Mike told me what his theory is, and I'm liking where his head's at. I'm giving you a chance to to change my mind, as as the meme says, change my mind. Okay, well, I don't have a set opinion. I have thought about it. Um, now, what the book tells us, and it sort of glosses over this, is that, oh, it's just random. Like, oh, you know, it's random. Now, given... What we know of the investiture in general and how it's used, more than likely, so I was going to say, more than likely, there's that whole broken aspect. Someone is broken in some way, and I'm putting air quotes there, um, which seems to be how investiture is unlocked with a person. However, how broken is Raiden? Raiden seems pretty solid to me, and it's weird that he would have been selected if that were the case so uh i i want to hear some opinions before i okay then i'll i'll rehash what i went over last week uh so first off there is a genetic component you have to be from erlon from teod or from duladel like only people from those three countries can become elantrians right that's that's established in the book that's straight out said i already have a disagree Okay, go ahead. Uh, it's not that they're from those regions, because typically it's Aralons and sometimes Teodes. And sometimes Duelos. Kaladin's the weird one. Well, h- him and his father, right? It was his father was an Elantrian. Right. They and I believe it's because they lived near the location of Elantris. It's a geographic location of the person, not necessarily a cultural or ethnic Division, I think. I think it's based on where you live, physically. In I'm the not world. sure that that tracks because there are, I mean, there there are people from other countries who who live in and around Elantris um, that yeah. aren't taken by the. But why Dulos? 
Well, didn't it specifically say it only affected those that lived close to the Erlich border? Right. So there is that geographic component But there, you, al- you also but... have to be originally from one of these three countries. Like, you and your ancestors have to be from there. Right, Maybe. because the, well, the can... trees that live in Aralon never get it. Right. Well, c- continue, continue. Okay. So next up is... Uh, another one that seems obvious once you think about it, but it's not outright stated, which is uh, is you have to be devoted to something. Um, Raiden is devoted to leadership. Like, he spent all day, every day, either being the most effective leader he could be or learning to be the most effective leader he could be. Um, okay. Galadon inherited his father's farm and change it over to be an orchard so that he would have more time to study and read his books and, and pursue intellectual pursuits. Um, what about some of the peasants that have been hit though? Well, we have a Enden. a Enden? Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, not a peasant though. Well, hang on. I'm getting there. Okay. We don't have a lot of information on everybody, but the people we do, uh, a Enden is, absolutely devoted to the art of sculpture. And, like, as soon as Rayodin shows him that, yeah, dude, there's, like, all these great sculptures here in the city, you just gotta wipe the crap off, uh, he immediately stops being a warlord and is like, yeah, uh, this is this is what I do now, this is me. Um, Salen, the, the soldier, um, like, as Tori pointed out, he was actually getting a bit too old to be a soldier, but he was still, like, dedicated to it. Like, that was his whole life. Uh, Kereta was a mom. Like, that was, that was her whole thing. Like, she broke into the palace to see her kid again and, and drop off a necklace. Like, she risked herself and every, um, Elantrian just to do this one little thing, and she's been taking care of the Elantrian children. So I'm worried that with, with this classification, you're confusing the way they are after they became an Elantrian. Um, because part of the solution to getting over you know, their hunger pains and, and other pains is to have this devotion. And, and it, I mean, it lends credence to the fact that devotion is a partial solution to... Uh, you know, to, to getting over their problems, but I'm not necessarily sure how devoted they were to a cause in the first place. But I think it's a decent theory. All right. Right, because um, you, you see Saolin being a dedicated soldier as soon as he walks in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, he hasn't had time to get the hunger pangs yet. And um, then the the other one that we were looking at was Marishi, who... Uh, hmm. When Rayadin asks, "What do you do?" and he's like, "I do everything. I am an artist." Like, like you, you can just tell, and and the way he's characterized as being kind of an annoying artist, like you, <laughs> right? Um, all right. So the next thing, and this is this is the important one. This is the broken aspect. Uh, so a little bit of background here. In Words of Radiance, uh, Sill at one point tells Kaladin that all of the Knights Radiant were broken. Uh, okay. which that was my light bulb moment of going back and like, oh, oh, there's a, there's a broken aspect to all of these systems. Um, 
and it took me until Words of Radiance to put it all together because I'm kind of dumb. I'm sure other people picked up on it right away. Um, so there's in uh, on Roshar the the breaking is an emotional one primarily, like you have people with depression, you have people with addiction yeah, issues, yeah, you have definitely. whatever is going on with um, Shellan. Man, oh she's gosh. got some problems. Dude, dude, it's sinking in. Keep going. All right, uh, next up on Scadriel, it's a physical breaking. You get beaten almost to death yep. as a child, or you get exposed to the mists once that starts happening, uh, and it sends you into these really nasty convulsions that straight up do kill some people. Yep. Uh, next up on, um, I'm blanking on the name of the world, uh, Warbreaker World, Nalthus. Nalthus. <laughs> On Nalthus, you have to freaking die. Just straight up, you have to die to get the primary investiture. So is that cognitive? Because your mind stops working? Yeah, I have no idea. It's it's very intense. Like, you just straight up, you have to die. I mean, it could also be physical. Um, and then, finally, bringing it back to Cell, Elantris, uh, I believe it is a social breaking. Um... In the sense that you you don't fit in with with some aspect of your social group, uh, Raiden didn't fit in with his family at all. Um, well, so so the problem with this theory is that so so you were talking about it, and that made me realize the quadrants that are typically dedicated to different investitures, um, where we have physical, cognitive, temporal, and uh, and emotional. So social doesn't really fit that, but it could maybe be an emotional type of breaking or it could be a cognitive breaking not not really temporal doesn't make sense for temporal but it could maybe fit into the cognitive realm maybe yeah i think the idea of a social breaking being because it's a difference of ideology with the rest of your social group so that would be a cognitive thing right Maybe. It's really how Sanderson seems to classify the cognitive realm. Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't, like, how we do this. Tie, I haven't tried to tie this back into, like, three realms theory, but, um, it, it fits to me. Um, so Rayodin being the prime example, he was, you know, the black sheep of his family. Um, Galadon being a, uh, a nerdy intellectual wouldn't fit in with, you know, standard Duladel. Uh, farmers. Also, he's he's kind of a moody killjoy, which the Duladel stereotype is that they're all like super happy people all the time. Um, I don't know yeah. that we get enough. He's pessimistic. Yeah, I don't know that we get enough from anyone else to to tie much of this together. But so I don't know if I discussed this before, but one of the theories that I know I've linked to you in the past, and I really want to find it again to put it in our spoilers channel. The number theory? Um, which is, what's that? The number theory? Yeah, the number theory. But note that the numbers were also placed in the the quadrants. So as I mentioned, we have physical, we have mental. It's So temporal. And so, so I'm looking at the elementic metals. Right. So all 16 that we know of. Uh, and they t they fall into these quadrants. And when you're talking about the way they're broken on Roshar and on on Skadriel, I'm like, holy crap, it fits into these quadrants. And I believe 
So if we look at, hold on, let me think. If we look at ruin and preservation, I believe they're very physically oriented. I would almost say and, that Nalthus is a temporal breaking. Right. Well, so so I'm saying the the uh, shards happen to be physical. They're just sort of opposites of one another, but they're still within the same quadrant. That it makes sense that their breaking would also be physical, especially preservation is most certainly in the physical realm, and his breaking is physically oriented. And if you look at Roshar, it's it's emotional slash mental. And that could be where honor resides. Sure. I don't know about cultivation, but I could see honor reside. I, I have to look at it again. That's the problem. I'm just sort of like, I, I'm trying to go off of what I remember, and I don't remember it, but I really like that chart. And now that you're mentioning the way that they are broken, this, I think, is great information. I, 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 like, I like this. Okay. Well... I, I distinctly remember you and I discussing it in the past, not on yeah. the podcast. Yeah. And like you had you had some disagreements with me on on the social aspect being being the breaking. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily social if if we want to classify it, but I could see what you're saying. It's it's a difference with how you interact with other people. Sure. And so... maybe that falls into mental or maybe that falls into uh emotional. I don't know. All right. Um, then I guess let's move on. Uh, so what's going on in these chapters that we want to talk about? Uh, so I actually want to discuss something that's not necessarily to this chapter. So I've been rereading the whole book, as I do. Like, I'm I'm doing it all at once rather than the weekly that we've been doing. And I'm about halfway through. But one thing I wanted to state, and I'm not sure if we discussed it before, is why does Hraithen let Diloph get away with so much stuff? Like, time and again, Diloph gives Hraithen a look that's he's glaring, he's like... Hraithen he, he, sort of writes it under, like, oh yeah, he's just angry at Elantrans. But sometimes it's, he's giving Hraithen a look, like, why did you get in my way? And Hraithen has to actively take steps to make sure Diloph doesn't get away with it. Diloph is supposed to be submissive to his, uh, what, what was it called? Hroden? Yeah. Because he's the Odive. But he's not. And 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 Harithan's like, yeah, sure, I'll just let him do whatever. Like, come on. You would, like, put your foot down. Why? If this was, like, a boss and employee type situation, Diloph would have been fired. Or at least had a write-up. Like, what's going on here? Is that Harithan is so... Like, his mindset is so settled into this hierarchy of, of his religion. Like, he... You know, even if he struggles with his faith on a metaphysical level, he really believes in the structure of the church, like where he fits in regard yeah. to the people above and below him. So I think it's just like outside the realm of his understanding for this person who's supposed to be below him to be uppity. Well, like I, I think he just does not like it just does not compute that. Right. You know, even well, think, if Diloph is mad and glaring, like, he's not going to do anything because that would just be too much, right? Yeah, I think part of the problem is that he sees him as Arilish, so maybe he figures, oh, he would be that. Like, he sort of writes it under, like, oh, he's Arilish, he doesn't know better. Right, and and he does see that, you know, picturing Diloph as an Arilish person, 
that Diloff is a really good convert to the church. You know, he's he's learned the language and he he's studied the teachings and really seems to know his stuff. Yeah. But it's just falling short in that one regard. And so I, I, I think Crafen is giving him a big pass and um not not really understanding that there's something sinister going on in the background. Yeah, I think it's sometimes it's subtle the changes. Like at first Diloff like oh, I overstepped my bounds type thing, and he's submissive, and Harrison's like, okay, that's fine, you'll, you'll get better. But, like, there's steps, like, over time, Diloff does these things, which makes it worse and worse. Like, he he gets all the people to uh, be under him, and so now Harrison can't get rid of Diloff. Whoops! Like, like, it's that sort of, like, it's incremental until it gets to the point where it's too far. All right, I think maybe Raithen has uh, a, a small measure of overconfidence. This yeah. isn't, like, counter to the things you're saying. I'm, I'm. This is maybe, like, in addition to. So, like, he doesn't... He he is, at least a little bit, on, on this front, overconfident, right up until it's obvious that uh, things have gone out of... have, have gotten out of hand. Uh, at which point, you know, poison and... Elantrian for five days and praying at the gate and I'm still okay actually brought this up to Tori because Craig you haven't been here for a couple of of episodes um why weren't some of the Elantrians like instant converts to Yadith why weren't some of the Elantrians yes like before or after the Riot? After, uh, when after when Wraithen enters the city as an Elantrian, yeah. prays in front of the Raven gate for five days, and then is healed. Why? So, so why didn't they see that and be like, "Oh, that's the solution"? Yeah, right. Like not everybody, but like some of them. Did what? they interact with him? Because as far as I know, he just stuck by the gate, and they sort of just let him do his thing. I mean, it him they didn't need to interact with him. They could have just seen him. Yeah, right, but they don't fully know, hey, it's his faith that healed him type thing. He's praying super him, loud I, I think for they five days as an oddity. Except it worked, but, as far as they can I, tell. I think, there, I think there's a glaring... Um, that there's a, a glaring hole that... Not hole, but something missing. Like, may, maybe, again, this is part of how... Sanderson was writing, and he might have glossed over it when maybe it, it demanded some attention. Like, why they decided not to try this. I mean, yeah, the yeah. the the off, authorial reason is, I don't think Brandon Sanderson thought of it. Um, but yeah, like, In my mind, when I got to those chapters, it was, Hraithen was separated from, you know, Raiden and all the new Elantrians. Like, it was, there was a disconnect. There was no interaction between them. Uh, they were having their own stories and their own story arcs that were separated from each other. And I think that was part of the problem with this being an earlier book. Because you get to something like Warbreaker, and although there's a division, you get some interaction between all the main characters eventually. And and their stories intertwine, whereas we don't quite have that just yet in this book. Sure. Um, I'm just wondering, like, why in universe we didn't have, you know, like maybe like yeah. a half dozen Elantrians just now kneeling in front of the gate and praying to Yadith for, you know, a few months. 
I will say part of it, though, is that Raiden's um, new Elantrians, like, it's working at the time. So the new Elantrians, I don't think, will be swayed by it. But, yeah, there's still other Elantrians that are just doing their own thing. Like, maybe they should have, like, tried it. Um, so what else we got? Um, I forget. There was something else I wanted to say. Right, we can talk a little bit about what uh, Dave mentioned. I... I hope that he likes where Harithan goes. I mean, I think one of the compelling aspects of the book is Harithan's crisis of faith. Yeah. And I, how he basically gets over it. Like, I think Harithan's so, going to come back around for Dave. Yeah. So Shudareth has its own issues. And I mean, I think a lot of the issues stem from Rin and how he's doing his thing. Um, not necessarily following the spirit of the religion. And, and I think I, I'm hoping that hurry thins like once he gets through all of this and realizes i guess where his faith is that uh dave will enjoy that yeah just i i think he will just based on how he's described hurry up to this point i yeah. i think i think hurry gonna come back around for him uh now, of course sorry oh. go ahead i was just gonna i don't i don't mean to like domineer i guess i haven't been here two weeks so i have a lot to say um and I do want to point out Dave's, you know, glaring error of what the door, like how they'll solve the door. Oh, yeah. And, and what he thinks it is, which, again, is part of the big twist and and reveal that's going to happen in a few chapters. I think in the next chapter is when Serene points out to, like, the next set of chapters is when Serene points out to um, Rayodin how, yeah, how, doesn't he how show... you draw Aeons. Right, doesn't he show her a little bit, like, how they, like, disappear, like, he does it, and then they fade away, and she's like, yeah, yeah, it'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, you just, you just, you, you draw Aerolon, and, and that's how you get, uh, the basic Aeon. Oh, man. I, w- I want to hear his reaction, I'm looking forward to that. And then, like, two chapter triads after that, I think, is when Raiden, uh, tries to blow up, uh, yeah. Galadon's library. We're, we're coming up to the the avalanche. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, there is a, a term called the Sanderson avalanche, uh, which basically means the end of the book. Uh, it's when <laughs> everything all comes together, and it's basically the point in the book where you can't put it down anymore. Like, you just... Everything's happening. You have to finish. Luckily, it's not that far... Like, it's near the end of the book, so you don't have that much to go, but... You really don't want to put it down. Yeah. Unlike with the last Wheel of Time book, where it was the entire book. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, that was... That's just how that story was structured. The last book kind of had to be a big, giant battle. I, like, disappeared for three days and read nonstop. Um, ooh, that brings up something. Uh, the Big Dumb Fight. Would you guys like to know about the Big Dumb Fight? I've talked about the Big Dumb Fight before, just yes, not you on have the podcast. Yeah, the Big Dumb Fight. Yeah. Talk um, about it somewhere. Okay. So, the idea of the Big Dumb Fight is, is how a lot of books, movies, TV shows, whatever, uh, it's, it's how a lot of them sort of resolve their ending, is the Big Dumb Fight. The, the good guys fight the bad guys. It's it's very violent. There's very little plot actually happening. 
it's it's more about spectacle than than like advancing characterization or anything like that. Um, and sort of my prime examples of the big dumb fight at either end of the spectrum, like done very 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 well versus done very 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 badly, are uh, the Star Wars films. Um, at the end of Return of the Jedi, we have one of the greatest big dumb fights ever. Um, it is Luke versus Vader. Just the way Luke is fighting is is like very evocative of his emotional state. Return of the Jedi, not Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi. Did it, what did I say? You said Return of the Jedi, but I thought Empire Strikes Back is your typical example. No, 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 no. Um, the emotional right before the reveal. I mean, that's a little bit, but that's that's more of a Vader curb stomping Luke. Like okay, Luke, Luke sure. doesn't really get a chance to sure, sure. fight in that one. Uh, whereas in Return of the Jedi, uh, it's it's the other way around. We actually get like the way Luke is fighting. Like he's he's just beating on Vader. Like he's super angry. It's sort of the culmination of his emotional journey up to that point, and that is a big dumb big dumb fight done very very well. On the other end of things, we have basically any of the prequels, like the end of any of the prequels. <laughs> Um, we could, we could do Phantom Menace, uh, although, I mean, I don't know. That you one's know one what? of the Phantom better. Menace, that is a great example of a, of a bad leap. Like, who, like, it's the big scene against Darth Maul. It's like, who cares? It looks cool. Yeah, it looks super I'm cool. soundtrack, you guys. It, it looks super cool. It sounds super cool, but nothing, we, mm, we don't have a reason to care. We don't know anything about Darth Maul. We never do. Um, we don't really care about Qui-Gon because we've had part of a movie to get to know him. And he's not that great of a character. Uh, Obi-Wan doesn't have a character up to this point. He's just sort of there, except he doesn't even go on on like the mission to, on Tatooine. He just stays with the ship. Like, like We have no reason to care about any of these characters. Um... It's a cool visual fight scene, but like there's there's nothing there. So like those are those are sort of the opposite ends of the big dumb fight spectrum. Um, I bring this up because there's a big dumb fight at the end of Elantris, and I feel like it falls sort of middleish. Uh, he definitely gets Brandon definitely gets better at at making a big dumb fight matter. Yeah, I think it's decent. Um, there's some spectacle to it, but it definitely has some emotional, like um, there, there's some emotions and story elements that do take place that need to be there. So, yeah, middle is fair. And and then back to Tori's point of uh, the final book of the Wheel of Time. That entire book was big dumb fight. Like it, it was big dumb fight. The book. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but it was also big dumb fight the 14th book in the series. Right, like 20 years of build-up. Yeah. Big dumb fight. And uh, I very much enjoyed that big dumb fight. Could have used more epilogue afterward. Yeah. Like, a lot more. A lot more. We had we had 20 years' worth of build-up to the big dumb fight, and not a lot of resolution afterward, I feel. Well, that's more Robert Jordan's 
issue than than Brandon Sanderson's. Well, yes, yes. I, no, I am not at all blaming that on Brandon Sanderson. He worked with what he had, and Robert Jordan did not put a lot of detail in his notes on that part. On some things. Um, actually, I learned this fairly recently. Uh, apparently, um, the Perrin stuff in the last three books of The Wheel of Time was almost entirely Sanderson. Uh, like, Robert Jordan left, like, no notes at all on Perrin, except becomes the king of Minethrin. And that is sad, because Perrin was my favorite. Um, hey, why is him becoming... Never mind. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever you guys say. Sounds okay. good. Okay. I, I don't know what this no, thing no, like, is. Like him becoming, becoming that's king not sounds sad, good. That's that's not sad. Uh, what's is it sad? the afterlife or something? No, no, no. The part where there were no notes on Perrin—that's sad. Like, oh, okay. He was my favorite character, and just no, you can you can really tell like halfway through the series that Robert Jordan just kind of forgot about him. And if I recall. I like Perrin, and I think I like Matt. Um, well, everybody likes Matt. <laughs> Matt's com- he was the comic relief, anyway, from what I remember. Okay, there's there's a point up to which you can read, and they're both probably going to be your favorite character. If you only read up to, like, book three, Matt's probably not on your list of favorite characters, but Perrin probably is, because he's got cool stuff. If you read up to, like, book six or seven, then, yeah, they both probably are. If you read past that point, Perrin probably slipped off of that list a little bit. Right. Because his plot stuff just sucked. No, like, at the end of book four, he gets he gets the big dumb fight. Like, it, it's all Perrin. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was 100% on board for that fight. And then he is not in book five at all. He's on his honeymoon. Like, Leave the guy alone. All. And... <laughs> And then he's barely in book six, and he starts kind of coming back after that. But he's very much the, like, he's relegated to side plot territory, like, and then he doesn't start getting relevant again until until Sanderson picks up. And, um, but yeah, his story just kind of ends. I needed more epilogue on him. I need I needed more epilogue on basically everybody. Like, yes, but what happened to this person? And you don't, you don't get any of that. I needed an Andral and Pavara buddy cop book. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which Andral um, is a hundred percent Sanderson, like completely original character, all Sanderson, no I Robert agree. Jordan. Yeah. Um well, but yeah. speaking of Sanderson. Speaking of Sanderson. Yeah, let's let's get back to our, our thing. It's the Cosmere podcast. <laughs> it is. It is not the Wheel Time podcast. Eh. I could go it is either not way. the Wheel Time podcast. There is one of those already. I'm There's sorry, several of I those. derailed the discussion. Anyway, talking about big dumb fights. Getting back to Sanderson, I was totally there for the battle at the tower at the end of um, Wave Kings. Like, yeah, absolutely yes. there. Like, that was amazing. That was a big dumb fight. It ended very badly for our heroes. Normally, like, it's hard to do both of those things and make it satisfying, but man, he pulls it off. Yep. Absolutely. But that's, uh, like, this is, we're, we're, that's later, Sanders. That's when he got his stuff. 
Yeah. He knows what he's doing. I, I actually am fairly glad that uh, nobody bothered to publish the the earlier versions of Way of Kings and that he got to like come back to it after after oh, did doing you, like, all this hear stuff. about what his ideas were? I haven't looked into the, the differences there. Uh there he's got like a bunch of stuff released on what he calls Way of Kings Prime. Uh which is like an earlier final draft of of Way of Kings that like he didn't touch for about a decade and then came back to it and finally came out with like the real one. I know he did that with Mistborn as well, and Mistborn Prime is like very different from Mistborn. There's some similarities, but there is there is a quite of a different story there. Um, I know Elantris, like one of the earlier versions of Elantris, had a whole subplot with like a fake Prince Rayodin, like an evil Prince Rayodin. Really, <laughs> like his long lost brother who was crazy. Yeah, like had been had been exiled from the family because he was crazy. So then, at the end, instead of Talraii being the threat and taking over the throne, you get this this long lost brother shows up out of nowhere and is like, "I'm gonna be ruling now that my father's dead." Oh, well, glad he didn't stick with that. That's in the because um, the the print version I have is the I think it's like the tenth anniversary or something. Um, with uh, deleted scenes at the end, and so that's that's in there. And that's funny. yeah, I'm really glad that he cut that because just having it be Tel Rai from the start is that's a much better thing in in my opinion than to have this you know character come out of nowhere. Right. Like I feel like in general for storytelling, it's much better to have an established character be an antagonist or a villain, or just just you know. Yeah, antagonist. Like, someone coming out of nowhere, there's no emotional connection with the reader. Like, why should I care about this person? I care about my heroes, and I have the established roadblocks, antagonists, and other characters that they interact with. So, having someone sort of out of nowhere be like, oh, he's this brother that he had, like, it, it loses something there. Whereas Telrai, there's a lot of scenes setting him up with his motivations, what he does... So you can sort of like after a while, like, I don't really want him, you know, getting control of Aralon. Like, that would be a bad thing. All right, guys. I just realized something. Uh, I actually have seen this plot play out and it doesn't work at all. Uh, The evil brother? Luke Cage. Yeah. That was part of my problem with with, uh, Luke Cage. Like, Cottonmouth is is our Telray in that. And then yeah. Diamondback is the Mad Prince, and wow, yeah, it, was it doesn't good. work at all. The first half of Luke Cage is good and compelling, and then it takes a left turn, and it's like, why do I care anymore? It, yeah, exactly. It was so. trying to do too much, too bad, and and they've done this with other things as well. Like, I mean, a num- not not even Marvel, but like you look at like. Spider-Man 3. It's doing too much too fast rather than trying to form a connection uh, with your villain. So I don't think it really ever works. Although I could be wrong. I just, off the top of my head, I can't think of a time when this can work. Alright, so while we're in spoiler territory, Craig, would you like to tell us about Infinity War? What? Why do you want me? Okay. Why are we talking about Avengers on our Cosmere Deep Dive podcast? 
because we veered into Marvel and you promised to go into a little more depth on Infinity War after you saw it. It's pretty good. <laughs> what do you want from me? Uh, I, I, don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't know anything about the comics. About the spoilers, we did not give you. How about that? I can't remember exactly what you said. I just assumed that we would lose someone. If, I mean, I was right. Uh, we would lose someone like super important, like Captain America or Iron Man. Like, like we're talking like one of those deaths is what I assumed would happen. Um, I didn't know anything about the comics, so I didn't know that this is there's similar stories in the comics. I actually watched a video on on um, like the '90s, the comic that the the whole series that was written in the '90s when Thanos already has the Infinity Gauntlet and what he does and how they correct it. And although there's some similarities there, there's a heck of a lot of difference because, of course, in the comics, Thanos has a thing for death, yes. the character. Uh, and he's basically trying to court death. So we don't get that. And I do like the characterization of Thanos in the movie universe a lot better. Like, he is trying to solve an economic issue based on his history on his planet that he thinks will apply to the rest of the universe. And just the way the movie comes about being his movie, it's not really about the Avengers, it's his movie. He has the the, the story arc and he, spoilers, is successful. It's like, this is this is a risk that Marvel took, and I'm so glad they took it. Because if he, if they just ended like he got like four of the stones, like, oh, they're going to stop him from the other two. Like, big deal. No, he's successful. How are they going to solve this? It's pretty cool. And yeah, the, like they structured it properly so that, right. like, like, he is the A plot, but... It's not stopping him is the A plot. He, his, his plot is the A plot. Stopping him are the B, C, and D plots. Yeah. And, and it almost works. And, and then, yeah, he, he is the protagonist of this film because he almost gets stopped right at the end and then he succeeds. Yay, Thanos. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the next Avengers movie. Like, I want like a day one ticket. Got to see it right away. Like this has made me want to see more, and that's that's how you do it right. When you go to a movie, so so here's my issue. Star Wars is my issue. The new Star Wars movies. When I saw uh, Force Awakens, I'm like, okay, it's, it's fun. I'll, I'll watch more. I saw Rogue One. I'm like, Ugh. and then I saw Last Jedi. I'm like, Ugh. so now I'm at the point where I don't really want to see any more Star Wars. Solo just came out, and I'm like, eh, I heard it was actually decent, but I'm not compelled to go see it in theater. I look at Marvel, even though it's all Disney, I look at Marvel, and I'm like, this is how you do it, because I want to see all the things right now. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> so, probably... Okay, you'll probably be able to skip Ant-Man and Wasp. Um, I still want to see it. Like, if you want to I mean, see it, great, but, but I, I doubt there's going to be anything like relevant to... Yeah, yeah. Bigger but it's picture. still going to be fun. Like, that's the thing. Like, I I trust even after, like, I, I've not watched a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie and been, oh, okay, I've gotten pretty close. Because, like, I don't think I ever want to see Avengers 2 again. And I'm sort of bored by Thor Dark World. But I still will give it a chance. I will say that. Like, I'm not at the point where I'm burned and I just want to skip a movie. I'll give 
right now I'll give a Marvel movie a chance. So I'm predicting that Ant-Man and Wasp takes place just prior to the events of Infinity War. And the scene after the credits is going to be somebody disappearing. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. That seems like a fair guess. Um, um, I, I feel like Captain Marvel. The movies. I feel like Captain Marvel is going to be like super important to uh, Infinity yes. War two. They had the whole thing at the after credit scene of Avengers is yeah. uh, Nick Fury contacting Captain Marvel, so you know she's going to definitely do something in the next Avengers movie. So, so, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Um, number one, from what I've heard, all of the Phase Three movies that were that are still to come are basically going to be taking place right before Infinity War. Which makes sense, given a lot of the newer characters have disappeared. Uh, secondly, if you look at the characters, the Avengers that survive, that have not disappeared, it's basically all the original Avengers plus Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. But then again, how does Captain Marvel fit into that? Because she would be one of the newer ones. Well, um, her movie's supposed to be set in the 90s. Yeah, it is. But so. but if, if Nick Fury is contacting her, I suspect she'll play an important role to come. Now, in the comics, it was all about Adam Warlock, and we haven't seen him yet, even though they hinted at him being made uh, in Guardians 2 at the end. So right. I don't know if we're going to get him and if he's going to be important or not. If it, if they go with not, then it's going to have to be characters like Captain America and like Captain Marvel who... Uh, I guess, like, I don't know how they're going to, I I don't know how they're going to solve this, but Dr. Strange apparently saw this and this is the end game. Like he knew that this is the way for them to be ultimately successful. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to solve it, but I have complete faith that it will be solved because Marvel hasn't let me down yet. I think Dr. Strange is one of my favorite like Avengers in general. He's so cool. Since I know that a lot of the higher-ups at Marvel totally listen to our podcast, I want to put this out here. I would like to see, as an extra, as like a, a secondary thing, I would like to see Michael Pena's character from Ant-Man recap the entire MCU. Yes. Yes. Just, I need this as like an extra on Infinity War or an extra on Ant-Man and Wasp. Or, like, its own separate release, like, make it, like, freaking two hours long, and it's just, like, clips of, of MCU stuff and Michael Pena is narrating. Like, th- like, like yeah. this is your, this is your previously on summary before you go into Infinity War 2. That, so. That's everything I need. Kevin Feige, since I know you're a fan, make it happen. All right. Uh, do we have anything else, or do you want to cut it here? I don't remember what he does. I don't remember Ant-Man very well. Okay, well, rewatch Ant-Man, because you'll immediately understand the reference I'm making. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a rewatch. He's that side character that tells all the... Yeah, I can't, I can't. I, I, I just don't remember. It's been a while since right. I saw Ant-Man, so... Okay, well, you should rewatch Ant Man because it's great. Talking about the minute you see him. So I sort of wish I was able to watch this with you guys when you first had that discussion because it would have been fun to chat about it. But like I said, I watched a number of videos, some theories, just people discussing it, and I've realized, like, as I was reading this stuff, like over time, I'm like, they did a really good job with this movie, 
and it makes me want to see more Marvel movies. So this this is so they got this down, and it's really a disappointment what they're doing with the Star Wars series because it, it to me it just doesn't feel the same quality as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Disney um, has to improve. Oh, well, like so- Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe started before Disney acquired it. Yeah, Disney's true. just building on what they already had. Disney and acquired Dis- the Star Wars universe and basically started over. True. Hadn't had anything since the prequels, and those were terrible. And you look at what Disney does when they actually acquire these companies. They're they're pretty good about letting them do their own thing. They, they don't, like, completely restructure and rewrite these companies. Like, they would Pixar with Marvel. It's like, hey, you guys did a good thing, and this is why we invested while we purchased you, so you keep doing a good thing. Hey, and you also have a bigger budget now, is my somewhat optimistic view of a corporation. Right, and but I, I really feel like with the Star Wars universe, like, they acquired it, and there was nothing going on with it at the time. Right. So they yeah. just kind of... Well, the you know. decision they made is we don't want to do the um, the expanded universe. We want to be right. different. So that was the only big decision they had. And I know they give the director some freedom, which is good. It's like, hey, you're doing this story, and they have freedom to come up with stuff, which is why we had like a lot of setup in Force Awakens, only to have things go completely different in Last Jedi. And it's fine. I just didn't think it was a good story. Which is my problem with Rogue One and Last Jedi. Well, okay, so Rogue One just didn't need to happen. That wasn't a story that needed to be told. At sure, no just point... like Solo isn't really a story that needs to be told. Yeah, I'm, I'm skipping Solo. We're like, we'll get it on Blu-ray eventually. But the wife is going to go see Solo, probably take the kids. Um, but I'm not going to bother. I'm I'm going to have to see Solo because my husband is the Uber Star Wars fan. Um. Yeah, I have a brother-in-law. That's why I've been seeing these, just so we can discuss it at Christmas. But, um, okay, so have you guys seen J.J. Um, Abrams' TED Talk? I have not seen his TED Talk. Okay. No, but I'm excited to look that up. I love TED Talks. Uh, he talks about what he calls the mystery box. Which oh, is... I have seen. I've seen him talk. Yeah, I've yeah. seen clips of that. Okay, so that is that is his like core storytelling technique, which is... Present a mystery. Don't have a solution for it. Just just have questions. Produce questions. And that's what he did with Force Awakens. And that's, I think, the source of a lot of the issues with The Last Jedi is there's all these questions. And he didn't have answers. That's, that's not how he do. So, look at Sanderson, though. He, he has mystery boxes. But Oh, no, no, no. Sanderson knows the answers to all of this. Yes, that's what I was going to say. They're not really mystery boxes. They're presented as mystery boxes, but there's a solution, and that's why I absolutely love Sanderson, because you need a reason, and that's part of my issue with J.J. Abrams in general, with his mystery box approaches. You, it, it can be fine, maybe, but if you actually know the solution, you can provide hints, you can foreshadow. It's just... The the discussion, the, the fact that we're discussing Sanderson stuff sometimes on this podcast, uh, <laughs> like, I think that is compelling and that is a good thing. And you can't really do that with some of, with the mystery box yeah. thing. So, like, you can discuss theories, but, like, what's the point? The author's just going to say, hey, this sounds cool, let's do this. So, bef- sorry, go ahead. J.J. Abrams, didn't he do Lost? Yes. yes. 
That's well, sort of exact mystery box. The series he did yes, the first season of exactly Lost. Exactly my problem with. I, I mean, it is. It's a compelling method. It does keep us hooked. I mean, I was I was hooked. I absolutely needed to know what happened on Lost, but then we didn't get to know what happened on Lost. Yeah, like we never got those answers because they didn't exist. He just had all these questions, and yeah, it keeps us hooked, but it doesn't have a satisfying resolution at yeah. all. You got more questions over time rather than solutions. Right. Whereas contrast that with getting back to Sanderson, Mistborn, which the the original Mistborn trilogy, it, I keep saying, has the most satisfying ending out of so many endings. Like, yeah. yes, just, it all comes together at the end. It's all answered. It's all solved. It's mind blowing. Like, that's what you get when you know the answer all along. Because <laughs> and then yes, when you reread. Mistborn with a reread. Any of his books, when you do a reread and you know stuff, you can see this. Like, you can you see the hints. setting it up the whole time. Yes, it was Sander- there the whole right in front of us. Sanderson had hemallergy nailed down, pun intended, before he <laughs> yeah. ever started uh, Hero of Ages. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Like, you all the pieces to, were there. You had to know from the very beginning how this works. Because of the questions that are presented, like how how these inquisitors can find people, why does that work? And you even get the description of Vin's earring, like right away, like he knew exactly what it does. Mm-hmm. So good, yeah. We're gonna be reading that soon. That's next, isn't it? Miss yeah. Are we getting? The, are we doing the whole trilogy in a in a row? Yes, because that was what was released. Nice. Um, so we're we're finishing up Elantris, and we're we're upping our um, we're upping our chapter count per week. So no yeah, episode next week. Episode because but we'll look ahead from there. Yeah, no episode next week. We're right. jumping up to six chapters a week uh, per or six chapters per episode um, from this point forward on Elantris. We're doing Hope of Elantris, which I think we're going to probably split up into two or three episodes. Um. And then we're starting on Mistborn, and Mistborn just goes all the way through for the first trilogy. Because he didn't put out anything else Cosmere. Um, so, aside us. from Hope of Elantris, we're not doing any any uh, series, like, in the middle, like, a breather, like, let's just discuss. Well, I mean, I want to do, I want to do a Are full... Are we going to do, like, a, uh, an overview, or... I want to do a full episode. Elantris overview uh, episode after, probably after we get done with Hope of Elantris. Okay. Just because that yeah. is tied into it, and it's fairly short, so it's not a big deal. It is. I, uh, I figure. I, I don't know. I don't remember how short it is, but we can probably crank it out in an episode. Uh, yeah, maybe it's two. just a short story. Um, yeah. I, Emperor's Soul will take more than one episode. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I I want to give Dave a chance to ask questions, and then us sometimes answer, sometimes not. Uh, yeah. I, I see. I see like three different answer potential answers. Either we explain the answer to his question, or we tell him that we just don't know, or uh, we tell him to read and find out. Ratho, Ratho, yeah. it's always Ratho, man. Well, I mean, I want him to be able to a- ask questions and potentially get answers if if he's not like butting up Even against if stuff. The answer is Ratho. Right. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, that happens in general in real life when people ask Sanderson about this stuff. 
at the time he'll have a Rafa already. And yeah, maybe future books will explain it and they'll have we'll have more information. Now, one of the things I did since I've been a reader, I've been reading since Way of Kings was published. That's when I started. Of course, I started with Mistborn um, and read everything around there. And just like after reading through the series, being able to go to the wiki and like look this stuff up like that, that was useful to me at the time because I was basically going to compile all this information together and I was able to read it. Now, there's a lot more out now for Dave. So having us sort of filter that so he doesn't have to go look it up just yet until he gets to the point where he's at where we're at. And then, hey, let's go into Coppermind or let's go to the 17th chart and read all the uh, Word of Brandon's type thing. Okay, It'll be fun. Um, we do need to at some point, and it may not necessarily need to be on the air, uh, discuss how much of Mistborn we want to do at a time. Because I feel like one chapter is going to be a little a little not enough. Uh, but it's not like a chapter triad sort of scenario, so I don't know. Right. So what we'll have to do is see how many chapters are on each of the book books, and we can sort of split it up. Um, Tori, why don't you be the ultimate arbiter of that since... Okay. Since you, you're able to, like, read ahead and, and stuff. And, oh, hey, we haven't done a library corner in a while. How's, how's, how's library things? Oh, okay. I'll talk about a library thing. Um, so one thing I would like to talk about is uh, the Dewey Decimal System. Oh, God. Which most libraries in America use. It's not that complicated, I promise. Um most libraries in America are using the Dewey Decimal System to categorize their nonfiction books. And all it is is um, an organization system where every topic is assigned a number. So if you're looking for books on a single topic, you just have to know the Dewey number and walk over to that shelf in the nonfiction section and Everything that you want on that topic is going to be side by side on the shelf. It's not like, you know, if your favorite author is a fiction author who happens to write, you know, this one's just literary fiction and this one's a mystery and this one's science fiction. And they're going to be in different sections of the bookstore, which categorizes the books by genre rather than by author. Um in the Dewey Decimal System, everything on one topic is going to be on the same shelf, regardless of who the author is, because with nonfiction, you don't really care about who wrote it. You only care about the information in it. So that's that's your little tidbit for the day. And I wanted to share some of my favorite nonfiction numbers. You can walk into your library that uses the Dewey Decimal System. You can walk right to the shelf that has these things on it. Uh, Fairy tales and folk tales are under 398.2, specifically 398.2. Wait, wait. Nonfiction? In nonfiction, yes. Fairy uh, tales. Yeah, little known fact all library books used to be classified in the Dewey Decimal System, including sure. novels. There was a number for those in the 800s. Uh, because it used to be the novel was not a popular form of book. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's only been in the past couple of centuries that novels have become more 
more popular and there are more of them and they sort of outgrew their their shelf in the Dewey Decimal System. So now we separate out the fiction novels from the rest of them. Now, uh, shorter things like books of poetry, those are still in nonfiction, even though they're, they're more literary. And, um, so I wanted to specifically mention that American poetry is under number 811, um, because there is kind of a geographic component to it. So like British poetry is under, I think, 821. Um, so the American stuff is separated from the British stuff. Um, but yeah, poetry is number 811. Fairy tales and folk tales are 398.2. Um, books about domesticated animals are in the 630s. Uh, so any books about pets, if you want, for example, mm. dog training books or how to raise chickens or stuff about rabbits or parakeets or cats and dogs, like those are under 636. Um, and it's noon in Oklahoma, so the tornado siren's going off behind me for the weekly test. Excuse me. Really? A weekly test? Yeah, every Saturday at noon. Oh, and it's, it's important, because I know it, it's, it can be we common. We want this to work. <laughs> uh, and, okay, what else? Um, cookbooks, 641.5. Drawing books, 741.5. And... Um, yeah, so those are those are my favorite Dewey categories. Um, you can walk into any library that uses the Dewey Decimal System, walk right up to 398.2, you're going to find all the fairy tales and folk tales. So that's, that's your tip, is if you have a favorite subject, whether that be uh, sports or history or languages, just find the Dewey number for your favorite topic, and you'll be able to walk right to it any library you go to. And what other systems are there besides library, or not library, uh, Dewey Decimal? Besides Dewey Decimal, there's Library of Congress, which uh, you do find in a lot of academic libraries, like university libraries. Um, I'm really not familiar with that. Uh, you know, I had to have a class over it when I got my library degree, but uh, I haven't worked in a library that uses it, so it's... You use it or lose it, and I've forgotten all the things. Um, Do you know what their sorting method is? The what? Do you know what their sorting method like is? It's it's the same method, just that uh, topics are assigned a number, but they're using different numbers and uh, just just sorted. The topics are slightly different. So it's Dewey oh. Decimal, but weird. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. You could okay. say that. Um, oh, one thing I did want to say, and this is a, a fun little tidbit that I really enjoy that makes me smile every time I think of it, is uh, Melville Dewey, despite his name, was a very forward-thinking individual for his time. And when he created the Dewey Decimal System, he actually set aside a number for um, in, in the 900s, which is all about history and geography. And it is sorted by region. So the books about Europe are in the 940s. Books about America are in the 970s. Um, he set aside a number for when we discover other planets. No so way. the history and geography of other planets is the number 999 is reserved for them. Someday we will find 
our, our brothers in, in the cosmos. And that's where we'll classify their books. And then we'll write all about them when yeah. we have to rescue Matt Damon from space again. Again. Um, okay. So he's, did he's you from the late 19th century? So that was, I mean, it, we had some early sci-fi authors sort of talking about that sort of thing, but very, very much ahead of his time there. Um, yep. Did you, when reading the way of Kings, uh, catch the sort, the sorting system for the Palinaeum? Uh, n- no, apparently I did not. Okay. Uh, it struck me as particularly being nonsense. Um, texts in the Palinaeum are sorted by in the or mm, are sorted by when they were added to the Palinaeum. Oh gosh! So no, that's so horrible. I know. Well, no, that's that is actually historically accurate. Before we had the Dewey Decimal System. I mean, they didn't have computers back then. How else are you going to sort things than to have a ledger where you write down that you have acquired this document or text? Well, or, and it's going to be written down in the order you got it. Yeah, but, but part of the nice thing, like you were saying about the Dewey Decimal System, is the fact that you can look at similar topics. You might not know the other authors and be like, hey, I want something on, you know, this topic. Let me look right next to it and hey look let me grab that book as well yeah but believe it or not that's that's kind of how it was done <laughs> wow well that's that's interesting though that we used to do it a much worse way yeah and and, um, and sanderson has that and and like on the shelf they might have been organized alphabetically by author but if you were looking for hey i need a book about agriculture. Well, you you would have to flip through the ledgers to figure out which books were about agriculture. It, right. Like, yeah, they might be organized on the shelf, but um, unless you wanted a specific book by a specific author, if you were just researching a topic and you needed all the books on those topic, you, you needed one of the monks to come and help you do that because there there was really no other way to, to organize that information. Yeah. All right, we're at an hour and a half. I'm going to call it. I have to leave for work soon. Okay. So. All right, well, we had a good discussion. We went off topic a bit, but yeah. there's, some still, there's still some good Cosmere stuff in there. So. All right, have a good day, Internet. Yep, bye, Internet. Bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.